Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining me on tonight's program. We've got Paul Rickard looking at the stocks that he thinks looks really like good value right now. One in particular, I totally agree with him, and a sector that looks really good. Then we've got Adam Dawes from Shore and Partners. And Adam's going to talk about the bottoming of the stock market and what he likes right now. And then Chris Joy will t tell us why bond funds have done so badly but why they might do well going forward. That's a very interesting discussion about bond funds. But before that, uh, it's at times like this that I like to ask my readers, subscribers and clients and viewers, what kind of investor are you? And if you follow me and you are a short-term investor, I hope you know when to get out of stocks. I like because I don't rely on me to tell you things like that. I'm a long-term investor who buys good companies when the market beats up on really good quality companies. But when that's your strategy, you really have to be patient and not get rattled by all of the short-term oriented comments from market experts who want to play a much shorter game than yours truly. For people like me, you have to love the message of that famous legendary poet, Rudyard Kipling, who penned these words, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, and if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too, and if you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies, or being hated, don't give way to hating, and yet don't look too good nor look too wise. To that I would add, Yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and which is more, you'll be a, a great investor, my friend. And that's the important point. Don't be a, a short-term worrier when the market goes off the boil. If you've got a really good strategy, it will come back to serve you well. The key question many of you might be asking right now is why is the US market crashing? See this chart of the S&P 500 versus the S&P ASX 200. What you can see there is that the US market really, really screamed out of the coronavirus crash, while our market didn't do much at all. So our pullback is really measured because we didn't grow too much out of the, the coronavirus crash. On a 17-year basis, the market's up about 30%. That's about 2% per annum. At the same time, average dividend is about 4.5%. And with franking, you get about 6% in total over a long period of time. And over a five-year period, the return was something more like 8%. But the interesting thing is over the past three years with the coronavirus crash and all the other things, the market return has been minus 3%, minus 1% per annum. And that's why your, your portfolio is not doing all that well. But if the market actually rebounds, like Marco Kolonovic from JP Morgan has been suggesting, he sees a 27% gain towards the end of this year. That would push up your average return to something like 24% for three years or 8% per annum. You get my point? If you worry too much about the short term, you miss out on the long term um, nature of stock markets where the returns are a lot better than they are in the short term. Bottom line is stop worrying about the market now there will eventually be a nice comeback and you'll do well, provided you buy good quality companies that are being smashed up, beaten up by a market right now. Now, let's go to Paul Rickard and see what he likes right now. Well, at times like this, you're trying to look for value. What, what companies have been 
over smashed and I like quality ones that have been over smashed and I think Paul Rico does as well. So I've, I've asked him to nominate a few companies that fit that category. Paul, good to see you. Yeah, hi Peter. Look, I'm, I'm a bit like you um, when the market is, uh, yeah, look, it's, it's, we may not say it's in a bear market, but it's trading a bit like a bear market. Institutions are reluctant to commit new money and um, yeah, everyone's still pretty nervous and lots of talk about the big R word out there and that's not okay. going to go in the short term. So <clears throat> I'd rather stick for a couple of quality companies. I mean, there are a few out there that I think are showing reasonable, you know, rounding type behaviour mm. uh, and are trading okay. So there's okay. rather than go for the, the stock that was $10 and is now 50 cents and hoping that's going to rebound, yeah. I, I don't, that's a high risk strategy for me. Yeah. So what's your first one? Well, the first one's Macquarie Group, which uh, I guess won't come as a surprise for some. But look, that's not super risky either. I mean, no. that stock was uh, peaked at around about $220 um, in early in the year, got down to about 160 in early June. Mm. And it really has bottomed since, Peter. It really has uh, sort of sat between 160 and 170 through most of June, notwithstanding the market softening during that period. So. Yeah. It's actually showed a bit of resistance, you think? It showed quite a, quite, a, quite a good degree of support. I think it got to about 156 or something. Mm. So it's actually about $10 higher than the bottom, which isn't bad given the market uh, is, is not too far off its lows. Yeah. And mm. I think the other reason why Macquarie, I like, sorry, I like Macquarie, Peter, is you know it's got a great underlying business. Um, you know that there are some pretty smart operators in Macquarie. It's got a good mix between its... Uh, it's, it's market-facing businesses, mm. uh, you know, it's trading activities, which are obviously market-dependent, but the market's fairly volatile, which is good. Uh, it's big infrastructure businesses, which is about finding cheap companies or cheap infrastructure assets and repackaging them. And also it's developing banking business, mm. uh, which has been a bit of a the quiet area for Macquarie, but- uh, They're really pumping it up now. But they're they? pumping it up. But, so they're trying to get that mix between sort of what they describe as market-related income and, and annuity income sort of more even, mm. uh, and uh, I think Macquarie's got value. So yeah. it's higher risk than the, other, than the commercial banks. I yeah. think I should be clear about that. Mm. But um, it's come off you know, quite a bit, yeah. and it's showing to me good rounding signs. Yeah. And a lot of this money now is made in the US. So the fact that the US market is down over 20%, what was it? It's worth about 23 24% down. It's not surprising to see the Macquarie's down, but if the predictions are right that the US market might rebound later in the year. That's going to be a good thing. It's a, it's a tailwind for Macquarie. Yes, there are, there, are, there are a lot of opportunities for Macquarie, as you just described, as tailwinds. I mean, it will, just to put the other side, it will get caught up. So if you're reading about, you know, market uncertainty and US investment banks being hit hard, yeah. the chances are, you know, as your Goldman's and... Uh, and your other listed Morgan Stanley's and your other listed US investment banks, the chances are some of that will flow through to Macquarie locally because yep. it's competing with those investment banks. Uh, mm. More than half Macquarie's income now comes off from offshore activity. Yep. So it, it's really big in a lot of very key markets. So it will get caught up in that. But uh, yeah, look, they're, they're, good, they're good operators. And uh, I think you just, it's, what, it's, <coughs> it's a stock to back. It's certainly if, if the economy recovers and an activity picks up the other way, mm. I'd say Macquarie's a big beneficiary. Yeah, and I think that will actually happen. Let's go to um, another sector rather than the finance sector. Is there another sector you might like? In some yeah, look, I think healthcare's got a bit of value. And I was trying to think of, uh, I think we're going to have a tough couple of months ahead, Peter, because... Mm. Um, We'd all like to be buying tech, but I just don't think the market's got the confidence. We all know yeah. that tech's been really badly beaten off. And we've all watched in the last week or so as, as bond rates uh, have fallen quite substantially in yeah. the US and in yeah. Australia. Yeah. So some of the arguments about why 
you know, tech stocks have been sold off so badly yeah. have sort of gone out the door yeah. because you've had a big rally in the bond market. But and some good quality ones on the weekend did bounce back. Like Atlassian was a, a bounce back. Yeah, had a little bit of bounce back in yeah. the US, but it seems like the sentiment here in, in Australia, it ain't going to recover quickly. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, so I'm trying to think what might do better. Now, if interest rates, we still we get the Reserve Bank tomorrow, we'll get a lot of talk around, you know, another increase in, in August. So I think the market's still going to be pricing more, more aggressive action by the central bank. I think the sector that could do okay in this sort of environment is healthcare, yeah. which although we have a lot of so-called growth healthcare companies, traditionally has been seen as a bit of a defensive, defensive sector. So we get caught up a little bit in when you read about on... You know, you go to the US market and you see healthcare sector was up. The Americans think of it as a defensive sector, yeah. whereas we think of it more as probably a growth yeah. sector because yeah. most of our big healthcare <coughs> companies are growing overseas, right? They're yeah. very product or market specific and they're leaders in their fields. Mm. Companies like CSL and ResMed and Cochlear, mm. right? Yeah. Uh, I think there's good value there, right? Yeah. So they're, they're, they're all, again, stocks that aren't going down. Yeah. Uh, and if anything, you know, companies like ResMed and Cochlear have been, creeping, have been creeping up. Yeah. And as has CSL. So I think that's it's almost... All, all three you like? You give me a all, all three I like. I mean, ResMed, and, sorry, CSL and ResMed probably the most. We're also yeah. coming into reporting seasons. And yeah. Um, yeah, some of those companies typically surprise on the upside, particularly CSL. Yeah. Uh, lower Australian dollars helping as well. Now, we've been bulls in the Aussie dollar. We've got that wrong. But mm. yeah, the Aussie dollar at 68 cents is also um, helping companies like that because almost all their earnings come from offshore. Yep. Uh, so uh, look... I think that's a sector that could do well over the next two months as, uh, as people take a little bit of time yeah. before they really have, are committed or not committed to the, the, the R word, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think the, the point I'd like to make is that a lot of these calls we're making are not calls that we expect to make money in, in one month or two months. But by the end of the year, we expect to see the trend favouring these sorts of things. Similarly, the dollar. Um, yeah. uh, the Fin Review did a, a, a big analysis of what economists are predicting uh, for Australia. It must mean at least 20 economists, and nearly all of them had the dollar going up over the next year or two and going into the mid-70s. So, and, and they've sort of been half right because the, Australian, the Aussie dollar has been really strong yeah. against every currency except the US dollar. Yeah, right? that's right. The thing is that the US dollar has been so strong... Yeah. Um, and that's because of US interest rates. So when the rest of the world catches up, I mean, that's one of the reasons we don't, so we still think there's upside in the Aussie dollar. Mm. So uh, it's done well, it just hasn't done very well, well yeah. against the US dollar. And, and also, if the recession calls are excessively yep. bad, that would be good for the Aussie dollar. Every time there's a, a really terrible call on the dollar, you know, commodity companies like BHP and, and, and other coal miners and whatever, Get negatively affected. Yeah, and, and lately the Aussie dollar's been hit by, you know, the the R word, you know, slump in iron ore price, a little bit of slump in the copper price. Yeah. Coal and, and, and oil are holding up, but yeah. it's the others, uh, and that's hurting the Australian dollar yeah. a little bit. I, I also found it intriguing looking at the, the growth forecasts, and someone like Bill Evans uh, has a 4% growth uh, number for Australia. So I, I, I just think that... But all your selections today are, are companies that by Christmas time, people will be popping champagne saying, gee, yeah, Rickard's a smart bloke. Let's hope so. <laughs> That's Paul Rickard on the Switzer Report. Well, joining me now is Adam Dawes of Shore & Partners. And I've got him to talk about the bottoming process in particular and also what stocks he likes right now. How are you, mate? Really good, thanks, Paddy. Yourself? 
Very good, very good. Now listen, a lot of people, and I've been doing this over the last couple of weeks, you know, is this market trying to bottom? Are we close to a bottom? Or do you think there could be another big leg down? Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting because we, we've obviously got uh, RBA. Well, US is closed tonight. We've got RBA decision tomorrow. So you know, potentially the market could have another sort of downward sort of turn uh, if if something comes a little bit unexpected uh, with what's going on in the market at the moment. So I don't think we've seen the bottom. I think the market's definitely been trying to test it at that six thousand four hundred level. Yeah. I think that's certainly something that we've got to be mindful of. But really, at the end of the day, I think that uh, you know, in that six thousand four hundred, might get tested tomorrow. But I do think that the, the potentially that it, it can go lower from here, and potentially have a five in front of it, and five thousand eight hundred somewhere around there might be close to where we we, we could be going for a bottom. Yeah. But uh, it, it'll all you know, it's all on people's philosophy and all on people, and they, and I think the mood is fairly good out there. Mm but it's just also a little bit nervous as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by the, the fact that um, you know, we're, we try, there's always buyers at low levels. And I'm, we're going to talk about Magellan later. And I've noticed that every time Magellan gets to low 12s, there are buyers and it kind of goes up to 13 or 14. And I'm sure those, those same people yeah. are selling it and making two bucks on 12, you know. Um, but we'll get to that in a minute. But do you think reporting season is going to be critically important and a lot of CEOs going to have to come up with an outlook statement where they might say to us, well, we don't know because we don't know if it's going to be a recession or not. Yeah, I think that, that's absolutely correct. Uh, UBS put out a really good report the other day uh, that talked about a, a, a correction in earnings hmm. of around about sort of 20%. Gee. Now, the, the, the PE, the price to earnings, the PE, the price has already come down. Okay. So there, there could be some earnings re-rating on some of the larger stocks at the moment because their earnings are still going to be impacted by COVID, weather, uh, you know, labour shortages, all of these kinds of things. So it will be interesting to see how the market reacts to those earnings downgrades because I think the market's already reacted somewhat to a yeah. lot of that. So, yeah, it's going to be quite interesting to see. But you're absolutely right. Companies are going to turn around and they're, they're going to say, uh, we don't know what's going to happen. We can't give you any forecasts. And the problem is the market will punish them on not being able to give some kind of outlook, which is going to be a little bit difficult. Okay, let's go to Magellan because a lot of people are asking me, so and a lot of people, your clients are probably even asking you, what do you think's going on there? Yeah. And, and, I, and I threw out to someone the other day, and I said, well, look, in two or three years' time, I think they probably would probably creep back to twenty from twelve, eight bucks mm -hmm. on twelve wouldn't be a bad return, yeah. considering where they were. And, and they've got a new CEO, haven't they, as well, uh, or a new head of yes. investment strategy. Um, so what, what do you think about Magellan? So, look, I, I've been, I've been, I guess I've been out there talking a lot about Magellan and sort of really sort of saying that I, I like the business and I like the company. I didn't know that. Um, okay. There's a couple of things that... that... No, I didn't, I didn't know you actually better. had... So it's just interesting that you should say that, but go on. Yeah, yeah, so like, I, I mean... Down here, I think there's value. There's no doubt about that. I definitely think there's value down here. Um, can it go lower? Yes, it can. But one of the things is is that I, I do like about it is is that it's still got $65 billion of funds under management. Hmm. Now, I mean, that's obviously a far cry from where it was. But it, look, it certainly does mean that there's some still some fairly hefty fees that will be coming in. They have started to cut some of their staff and their workforce. 
And today was a classic example of sort of shoot first, then ask later, because the whole funds management sector got belted uh, a fair bit. Magellan was down sort of 10%. Platinum Asset Management was down about 1.2%. And, and um, Pendle was down around 2% as well. So I think it's 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 been that sort of shoot first, but then ask questions later. But if you do hold it, I mean, obviously, if you didn't sell it at $54, $40, $30, $20, mm. I mean, you know, you'd still probably hold it. But the time I'm going to be selling Magellan or getting out of Magellan is when they reduce their fees. Now, they are one of the most expensive funds managers in the in the game at the mm. moment. And they've obviously been cut fairly hard from ETF providers who are cutting their lunch a little bit there. And and obviously, you know, the, the series that, that is going to have to happen is that they're going to potentially they'll either they lower their fees or they just have to get some performance in the global fund. Once they get performance in the global fund, then more funds will arrive and then the funds under management will start to move higher. So, yeah, if is it a time to buy? Probably not. Is it a time to sell? Look, if you hold it, you probably stay with it. But it's the time to sell would be when you get a whiff of them selling uh, their uh, or reducing their fees. That's exactly when there'll be the time to be selling this stock. So at the moment, they're still keeping their fees quite high. And at $68 billion of funds under management, that's pretty decent. Uh, or it's going to definitely pay staff and it should provide a decent dividend. Yeah. And I, and I guess the, the important point for these guys is um, a lot of advisors will probably be saying to their clients, we'll give them to the end of the year. And if they don't show any turnaround, well, then we'll, we'll find a different fund manager. I don't think advisors just jump out of a, a fund manager that's had a bad year because until a year ago, it was one of the better performing fund managers. So I must admit that would be my attitude toward it as, as an advisor myself. Yeah, you're right. They, they don't move quickly and they sort of want to see some evidence of a turnaround. So yeah. that evidence would definitely be funds under management moving in the right direction or performance selling. I mean, they, they were very heavily in cash before while the market was running yeah. hot. I think they've, they've moved now a lot out of that cash and they've invested a lot of money. So yeah. hopefully that will then start to bring forward some of those numbers uh, for the global fund at least. But they've got a fantastic infrastructure fund. They've got some other funds in there that are actually quite good. Uh, yeah. But everything obviously hinges on that global fund. That's probably where the lion's yeah. share of the funds under and management I, is. And I don't think Hamish Douglas would be sending President Xi any Christmas cards for what he did to some of the, the, the Chinese investments he had in his fund as well. Well, I don't think Hamish Douglas will be on many people's Christmas cards. No, this, no, I mean, sending, sending cards I'm talking about. Yes, but you're, sending. Right, right, you're right. All right, okay, let's go to, uh, let's not talk about Christmas. It's too early for Christmas. Now, I've got to say, the market will be better at Christmas. I'm looking forward to Christmas. Um, let, any stocks that you like? You, you've said you've been talking about it, but I, I, I did say in my note to you, are there any stocks in particular you think just look like fantastic value? Yeah, look, obviously there's been a lot that have, that have been hit and hit pretty hard. What I do like, there's a couple of aristocrat. Uh, had an earnings upgrade the other day. That one's off, you know, sort of 40 30%. Uh, aristocrat looks really good down here. And if you've got a sort of one to two year time horizon, that's a perfect one for you. James Hardy's another one that is a fantastic business. Uh, that got hit really, really hard as well. I think there's definitely some value in there. Today, it's starting to get a little bit of a wriggle on as well. Uh, the other one I like is ResMed. So there's three there in sort of very sort of different sectors, mm. but ResMed in that healthcare space is also uh, looking good. 
I've got two other stocks that if you're willing to hold on for a little bit longer is probably potentially some takeover targets. Mm. Um, APA, I think with the infrastructure that, that well, there's no infrastructure stocks on our market anymore. Uh, APA is is definitely one of those ones that I think is, 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 is fairly right for a takeover. And then there's been a little bit of scuttlebutt around the market around TLC, the Lottery Corporation is going to be a potential takeover target as well. Mm. Um, and we just saw uh, Mr. Cook leave um, uh, leave Tyro. the company to join Tyro. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. your favourite company. Yes, right. He left, he left Tyro. Um, For, former favourite. He but, left Tyro uh, and he's yeah. former favourite, yeah. yeah. He left Tyro uh, and he's gone over to Star Casino. Yeah. Now, he, he was he was instrumental in the um, merger of Tabcorp and Tats in the uh, in the heyday back in the you know back when things were good so i think that's why um star potentially might have a look at the lottery corporation but these is no advice everybody these are very speculative investments and uh please seek professional advice before you do anything without a doubt adam Dawes, thanks for joining us thanks have a great evening same to you mate that's adam Dawes of shore and partners Now let's go to the bond funds, Chris, because you know you, you run a bond fund b- business, and um, I know one of my financial planning clients said that you wrote something about floating bond, floating rate bond funds. You expect them to do well. Now I was interested because you run the Switzer High Yield Fund, which is a, a floating bond, uh, floating rate bond fund. Why are you saying that they should do well going forward? Well, floating rate. Uh, bonds have massively outperformed fixed rate bonds over the last year. So um, I don't have the exact numbers in my head, but roughly speaking, the fixed rate bond index uh, is down, I believe, peak to trough, uh, about 14, 15%, which is a very, very significant loss. This is an Aussie fixed rate bond index. It's double uh, A rated, ostensibly very safe, very defensive, and it's down you know, 14, 15% it's probably performed pretty similarly to equities and hasn't necessarily offered the protection that people might have expected from fixed rate bonds. The floating rate um, uh, note index, so there are two types of bonds. There's a fixed rate bond where the interest rate is fixed in the same way that you might fix um, a, uh, an investment rate by allocating to a term deposit. So you could buy a five-year term deposit and maybe you fix it 3% or 4%, whatever the interest rate is on a five-year TD. Alternatively, you can invest in a, a floating rate or variable rate deposit where the interest rate will just go up and down with the RBA cash rate. And the same, same principle applies to fixed rate bonds and floating rate bonds. So uh, in a floating rate bond, that bond will pay you an interest rate uh, at a margin above the RBA cash rate. And as that cash rate increases, the interest rate in the bond will rise. With a fixed rate bond, on the other hand, as interest rates increase, the price of the bond falls because uh, you fixed the uh, the coupon payment and the price has to adjust to make new buyers of that bond indifferent uh, between um, you know that bond and say a floating rate product. Um, so what we've seen is that the floating rate universe has probably lost between one and three percent over the last year. So floating rate notes or floating rate bonds in Australia that are also double A rated have have fallen in value between one and three percentage points which is our record decline in you know, uh, fixed income values. Um, uh, you know, certainly that floating rate note index has 
um, recorded um, many months of negative returns. So I think there have been two periods since January 21. So since January last year, that index has had three negative months in a row twice, and that had never happened before. And then, then in the case of the fixed rate bond index, it's technically called the composite bond index. Um, that index, as I mentioned, peak to trough is probably down 14 to 16%. And um, that index performance is the worst in 33 years, the worst in recorded history. But crucially, the reason floating rate notes have outperformed fixed rate bonds is because as interest rates have lifted, rather than adjusting in price, they've adjusted through the higher cash rate and they've got the benefit of that. Unfortunately, um, that's not the entire story. So as I mentioned, a floating rate note pay, pays a margin above the cash rate. High cash rates benefit floating rate notes. High cash rates hurt fixed rate bonds. That margin has also expanded. It's called a credit spread. And we've seen a, a, an increase in credit spreads in Australia and overseas of something in the order of 75 to 150 basis points. What that means is that margin has increased by uh, 0.75 percentage points to 1.5 percentage points. So holders of floating rate notes have benefited from the RBA cash rate going up, um, but they have been hurt by wider credit spreads. The quid pro quo for both those indices is... Um, that right now we're sitting on much, much higher yields than we were 12 months ago. So one to two years ago, you know, these indices were paying 0.5% uh, in yield. Today, they're paying three or 4%, if not more. Um, and you, know, you can take a simple example, uh, which would be a bank hybrid. And we've seen, if we take a CBA hybrid uh, security listed on the ASX, those hybrids were paying about 2% over the RBA cash rate. Now, in markets, we don't really talk about the RBA cash rate as much as, or in the bond market, we talk about um, there's a proxy for the RBA cash rate, and it's called the bank bill rate, or technically something called the bank bill swap rate. But it's a three-month interest rate. So we talk about what margin does a bond, or what interest does a bond pay above the three-month bank bill swap rate. Now, the three-month bank bill swap rate last year was about 0.01%, basically zero. So if a hybrid was paying you 2% above three-month bank bills, you were earning about 2% interest yep. on that five-year CBA hybrid. But today, that hybrid is paying you about 3.6% above bank bills, right? And then the bank bill rate has jumped from 0.01% to about 1.8%. So what that means is last year on a CBA hybrid, you're earning 2%. This year, you're earning 5.4%, right? And, and that's obviously a big deal. Mm. Um, and so you've got a huge improvement in yield. And indeed, we've got the best yields now in bond markets than we've had in a very, very long time. You can get a almost a 4% interest rate on a 10-year um, AAA-rated Aussie government bond, uh, which is basically riskless if you hold it to maturity. Alternatively, you can get 3 to 4% term deposit rates for 12 months. Um, and the yield to maturity uh, on our portfolios. So if I just check um, that product you mentioned before, um, yeah, the yield to maturity right now is about four and a half percent. So these are very, very attractive yields. Um, but the quid pro quo or the trade-off for the attractive yield is the fact that um, you've had to suffer some capital losses or some negative returns recently as the price of the bonds, be they floating rate notes or fixed rate bonds, have adjusted to the higher RBA cash rates uh, and the wider credit spreads. Yeah, because when years go up, prices go down. 
uh, on a fixed rate bond, yeah. on a floating rate bond, when yields go up, the floating rate bond price does not go down. Uh, if the yield, but when we talk about the yield, if we're talking about if the cash rate goes up, the floating rate note will just pay you higher interest and the, the price of the note will not adjust. If the, the credit spread or that margin above the cash rate that it also pays you, if that widens, then yes, the price will go down. And what we've seen is uh, cash rates rise. So when we talk about cash rates, we mean normally the overnight RBA cash rate. Yeah. We've seen 10-year uh, risk-free rates or government bond yields jump dramatically. So in Australia last year, the 10-year Commonwealth government bond paid you an interest rate of about one point something percent. This year, it's paid you as much as 4.2%. So you've literally seen the yield or the interest rate on a Commonwealth bond almost quadruple. Uh, and that's tough if you've been holding that Commonwealth government bond for 12 months because you've suffered a big capital loss. But the the benefit or the silver lining is looking forward, you get much more attractive returns. Okay. The summary, then, the summary is when people ask me about Switzer High Yield Fund and say, we lost a lot less than most other bond funds, and this year it's looking good. Um, well, obviously, you know we can't give forward-looking return expectations, but what we would say is that floating rates, floating rate notes, which that product is a floating rate product, uh, have massively outperformed the broader bond benchmarks, both in Australia in, and in the US uh, or globally, and and specifically the the fixed rate bond universe, and the the, the average interest rate in the portfolio today or the average yield to maturity, um, there's different measures of uh, you know, yield, but uh, the, the yields or the, the, the interest rates we're earning today are the highest they've been in years. And all things being equal, that should mean higher returns in the future. Okay. But that's subject so, to so, so whereabouts is the yield now on, on Switzer High Yield Fund? So the yield to maturity on the Switzer High Yield Fund is about 4.5%. Okay. Um, yeah. and, and, but, but we do, you know, people need to read the product disclosure statement. They need to understand oh, the course. risks of yeah. the products. And they also need to speak to, or they should speak to advisors if they can avail themselves of a, an advisor for personal advice. Yeah, without a doubt. Can I just make one other point, mate? Yeah. But one other point, but, one other point but, I just want to make. Will other bond funds do better this year? Will the fix, sure, the fixed ones have been clobbered because interest rates have taken off, but will the bond fund managers in the, the fixed rate uh, bond funds, will they have a better year, do you think, going forward? I, I think so, yeah. Um, I definitely think there's a good chance that the, the, the guys that have been clobbered are the fixed rate bond funds, the composite bond managers. So that index, as I mentioned, is down probably you know 14 plus percent. Uh, in the US, the, the bond benchmark is down, I think, 16 to 20 percent. Um, yes, US equities have fallen 20 to 30 percent. So bonds have slightly outperformed, but nothing like many people would have assumed or hoped. Um, but what I will say, buddy, what I will say is, Think about this, NAB's equity um, on a grossed up basis for franking, that pays you about 7.5%, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Right? Um, the, the yield to maturity on an NAB hybrid is also about 7 8%. So, so hybrids sit one uh, notch up the capital structure. So you've got equity... They're the first loss piece, then hybrids, then subordinated debt, then senior bonds, then covered bonds, and then bank deposits. Or actually, sorry, bank deposits actually sit below covered bonds because bank deposits are unsecured and, and um, the covered bonds are secured. But it, my, my simple point is there are some incredibly attractive interest rates that you can avail yourself of in fixed income markets. 
<clears throat> be it on senior bonds, subordinated bonds, government bonds, or hybrids. And I actually think, <laughs> excuse me, I actually think this poses a bit of an existential challenge for equities, mate, because if, if NAB's um, dividend yield, including franking 7.5%, and you can get the same return on the NAB hybrid, um, then why would you buy the equity? Or let me put it differently, if the All Ordinaries Index, um, which I'll just bring up in front of me right now, is paying a franked dividend yield of, I'm guessing, about 5%. Yeah, we're talking yeah, so the frank, yep. yeah, so right. Oh, actually, that's it's actually according to this, the ordinary index is paying a, a franked dividend yield of six point seven percent. But again, we can buy a five-year CBA T two subordinated bond, which is paying a fixed rate of interest of six percent. So what you know, which is triple B plus rated. So would you you know is a is a dividend yield of six point seven percent attractive enough on Aussie stocks with all their risks of you know, 20, 30, 40, 50% capital losses when you could buy a CBA fixed rate bond that's paying you 6% per annum for five years. What I'm, what I'm suggesting, Peter, as an idea for people to think about is potentially we still need to see some revaluations across all asset classes. There's another good example that's actually particularly pertinent to your viewers is um, residential property. So think about the gross pre-fees yield you get on an investment property. You're probably looking at 3 4%. So why would you why would you want to get before all the transaction costs and depreciation that you suffer with an investment property? Why would you want to get a yield of only three to four percent when you can get a term deposit for three percent, or you can get a CBA bond paying six percent fixed for five years? It kind of doesn't make sense. Or yeah, think yeah. about think think about commercial property. You know, some commercial properties pay yields of only three and a half, four and a half percent. Again, these are risky assets that fluctuate wildly in value if you try to sell them. So I think that there's an existential portfolio construction challenge that people need to think about because if these interest rates remain high for a significant period of time, which I think is the risk, then the value of a lot of asset classes will continue to adjust. And we expected these interest rate increases late last year. So that's why in December in the AFR, um, I, I said in my column that I thought US equities would fall at least 30%. I thought crypto cryptocurrencies would get absolutely smashed. Bitcoin is off 71%. We thought uh, duration, on that, that's a technical term, we thought fixed rate bonds would get hammered. Uh, we thought floating rate notes would also get hammered because of wider credit spreads. We were negative on our own asset class. Hmm. Um, and, and that's what we've seen come to pass. But I think the good news in bonds, at least, is the interest rates that are offer, on offer in the bond market, they seem to be pretty attractive. And I think, to answer your question, there's a case that even fixed rate bonds now will start to perform. For them to perform, we, we will need to see the whites of the eyes of the interest rate cycle. So we'll need to know um, that markets are fully pricing in the peak in interest rates. Yep. And my sense is, is there is a very good chance today that the interest rate hikes that markets are pricing are either about right or they're too much. Yep. And if they prove to be too much, what that will mean is that rates or yields in markets will fall and bond prices will rise. And, and, the, and, the, and the fund managers who got in recently at high, at high rates could look really smart and their, their, their funds will do well. Mate, th thanks very much for your, your tips. And a lot of the things that you said uh, about the markets, about equities, you said on this program and you have been proved to be right. It's the only reason why I listen to you. Being right is a good reason to listen to you. Well, one thing I'll say about you, Peter, 
is you're you're a lovely human being. We've known each other for years. You're a great guy, but you're also incredibly smart. I'm sure most of your viewers know this, but you were Peter. Peter was basically a uh, academic economist um, uh, approximately 113 years ago. Um, so <laughs> he, he looks he looks a lot younger than he is, but. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but but you, you're the best in the business in terms of what you do, and and it's a real privilege to have time to talk to you. Cheers, mate. Thanks for joining us. See you, buddy. And that's the show for tonight. We'll see you on Thursday. Chris Joy has another interesting take on house prices. He doesn't think house prices will fall 30%. How much does he think? Find out on Thursday. Thanks for joining us, and go to the switzerreport.com.au.